What's up guys, Pastor John here. We pray that this message encourages you in your faith journey and we believe that God has an incredible plan for your life and our hope is that tools like this sermon will help you become who he has created you to be. Now listen, in order to truly flourish and thrive like God intends for your life, it takes community. What I mean by that is we don't believe that simply by attending church online alone that you're going to be able to become every bit of who God has created you to be and who you want to be to grow spiritually. You need other people. And we would love to help you connect with other people right here at Greenhouse. True growth happens when we're rooted in a community that supports, uplifts, and walks alongside us. And so with that in mind, we would love for you to join us in person on Sundays right here at Western High School or in microchurches throughout the week. Um, listen, if you don't live near our church here in South Florida, please reach out to us. We would love to help you find and thrive in a local faith community near you. We're excited to partner with you as we all become passionate followers of Jesus. God bless you. All right, stand your feet with me. We're going to get ready to read and honor God's word. We are kicking off a brand new Christmas series. How many of you are happy that Christmas time has arrived? Anybody, how many of you are like Christmas time arrived at Thanksgiving time? Because I've already had my stuff up and I already have Mariah Carey playing. It's been happening already, all right? But Christmas time is officially, officially here. And we're in a series called, What Child Is This? Turn to your neighbor and say, what child is this? You can probably guess we're talking about Jesus. And for the next two weeks, we're gonna be exploring and looking at the true meaning of this Christmas season, the power, the promise, and the hope that this season brings in our lives. And so we'll hinge our time together this morning in Isaiah chapter nine. If you wanna turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter nine, if not, and you don't have a Bible with you, we got you covered, Sky Bible on the screen. Isaiah is a prophet. He is writing about this promised Messiah thousands of years before this is to happen. Um, it is beautiful to know, for those of you, there are some things that never change. Uh, God's grace, goodness, mercy, and love, unchanging, amen? The Miami Dolphins' ability to disappoint us when it seems like there is no way to do so, never changing. Teams, by the way, I just gotta get this out there. Teams that, the record of teams losing by 14 points when there were four minutes or less is like zero wins, 785 losses, and zero ties, but they never played the Miami Dolphins. We can snatch defeat from the clutches of any victory. Lord, have mercy on us. Uh, are you ready for the Bible and some good news? Amen. All right, here's to hoping the Jets uh, cannot beat us. Sorry, Danny. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, if you're ready, say, preach, preacher. All right, I will. Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us... A child is born. Does this sound familiar? These Christmas verses. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Join me as we pray. Lord, thank you for the hope that is to be found in this promise fulfilled in this child, in this Savior, 
in this Mashiach, in this Messiah, in this Jesus? Would you remind, comfort, and encourage our souls this morning? In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five. Tell him, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Online, Guyana, glad you're here. Anybody here ever had a hard time waiting? Anybody willing to admit your waiting challenge? You're a little bit waiting challenge? Yeah, uh, our son Liam, my wife and I have two kids. Our son Liam is the oldest, he's seven years old. Uh, not always been the most patient child, but we were so proud of him. Uh, this Hanukkah season, those of you who know, I'm from a Jewish background, my wife is Puerto Rican, so we got two little Jew Rican kids. They get Hanukkah and Christmas, all the great things. And this Hanukkah, we just celebrated, just finished Hanukkah, and we were so excited because uh, our son exhibited a strong degree of growth in regard to his maturity when it comes to waiting. He turned to us and he said, Mom and Dad, it's fine. Let Lucy open her presents first. We're like, okay, son, go for it. And so sure enough, Lucy starts opening her present. Now, now there, was a, there was an unforeseen challenge in this sort of setup here. Uh, our son, when he gets a present, it's like it's a challenge to see how fast he can decimate the wrapping paper. So it's like, hey, buddy, here you go. It's gone. Like, it's, it's been wrapped. Like, forget the bow. Like, everything's, he's at the present, right? Lucy moves at a different pace. Lucia, our youngest, she's four. She kind of, like, floats through life. We're all done eating, and she's on bite two. Like, anybody got a kid like that? Maybe you were the kid like that. God bless you. We love you for it. Like, she's going to romance her food. Like, she's going to, she just, she moves at her own pace. And she brings this same pace to present opening. So Liam's like, Lucy, you could go first. And Lucy's like, oh, thank you, bruh, bruh. And it was so sweet. We're like, this is great. And then she starts with the bow. This is so nice. Wow, thank you, mom. This is so good. We're like, okay, Lucy, just open it. She, this is so pretty. Wow. Mom. And she and Liam is over there dying. Like, what have I done? And so she's she's you know doing it and so slow. And Liam finally is like, Luce, let me help you out. And so he goes in, to, you know, to be the helpful big brother. She's like, no. And he's sitting there, like, bless the kid's heart. You ever had good intentions and then they manifest in like not so great ways? Like, he's over there dying inside, like visibly vibrating, shaking, because she's taken so long to open this present. And what started off as such a great thing did not end as well. He mostly waited, and then eventually Lucy let him help, and he, you know, it all went through. But we struggle. It's not just kids and presents. Like, can we all admit it, waiting is hard for all of us, most of us, varying degrees, but we struggle in the waiting. And God's people at this juncture here in Isaiah, they have been waiting. And in fact, they have to continue to wait. God's people, they're in distress. Now we know where the story begins. They end up in slavery in Egypt. If you've ever seen the Prince of Egypt movie, you know the story and God sends a deliverer and his name is Moses and he comes along and God rescues his people out of bondage, out of slavery, and he gives them a path a path intended for their flourishing, a path of blessing. He says, I love you, I redeemed you, I rescued you, I want you to flourish and thrive. Here's the path, and if you walk in the path, you're gonna experience my blessing, but God's people disobeyed. Do you, do you notice any parallel trends to what we might be experiencing today? And, and God said, listen, if you walk in this path of blessing, things are gonna go great, but if you don't, there are gonna be consequences. You're gonna choose to walk out of my path of blessing. And so God's people did that then, like we often do that now, and as a result, they end up in exile. Matter of fact, the first exile happens in Babylonian captivity, and, and the prophets are writing, Isaiah's writing this warning, and 
And this warning comes to pass. God's people are in exile and and then things go good. God's people wake up and they're like, what am I doing? I need to come back. And just like you and I, they kind of have spiritual amnesia and they go into exile again, but this time they're under Roman occupation. And by the time the Christmas story kicks off, God's people are living as an oppressed people group under the Roman Empire. But God had promised what we read this morning, that he would send a Mashiach, a Messiah, a deliverer, that he would send this deliverer and, and on his shoulders, the government would be established. He'd be the wonderful counselor. And, and everyone was waiting for the Messiah to come. There were all these promises, like the one I read here in Isaiah, but they're all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the prophets. The breaking of oppression, the restoration of governance, the might of God, the new nation, the kingdom that will be never ending. It all sounds so good, but they're asking what so often we find ourselves asking, awesome God, when? When? So often, if you've had experiences with God, the question is not if God will do it or can God do it. The question is, God, I, when? This is where we find the nation of Israel. In an era of wars, kings, captivity, God's people are waiting for a kid. Doesn't God always seem to come through and not meet your expectations and do things. Like he is just so creative in the way that he figures out how to do things. They're waiting for this big conquering king and he promises to come as a little bitty baby. And while you might get yourself to believe maybe I could see this happening, because I mean it is God after all, when is this ever going to happen? And here's what I need us to understand as we begin this time together. If we're not careful, what we end up seeing this story as is, is Jesus ends up being kind of this last minute solution to this dilemma and problem. What I need you to understand is Jesus is not some last minute solution because God said, oh man, I forgot. They've been suffering for thousands of years. I need to come through. Jesus was not a last minute solution. He was the plan from the very beginning, all the way back to the very beginning of our story in Genesis. And here's why this matters, because if we look at Jesus as some sort of reactionary fire insurance, a scramble drill in heaven, if you will, we end up getting tempted to think that God has forgotten us. But I need you to understand that before you ever had a problem, he had a promise. Before you ever had a dilemma, there was a deity that loved you and was working things for your good. I need you to understand that no matter how amazing your vision board is, and 2023 isn't even done yet, God is a better planner. And he loves you and has worked it for your good. There's no moment in your life, in my life, in our lives that has ever surprised God. Does that mean God has caused all the carnage? No, it certainly does not. There is a real enemy of your soul and there is a real thing called sin but he is not surprised. And in fact, he has promised that he is actively working all things, bad things, horrible things, tragic things for good for those who love him are called according to his purpose. And the hope that I'm hoping stirs in your heart this morning is that if he has a redemption plan for all of the cosmos, he has a plan for you in mind as well. So I want us to dive in and start by defining our present reality. Point number one is this. We have trust issues. Turn to our neighbor and say, that's true, it's true. If you are a human being, varying degrees on the spectrum, we have trust issues. We have trust issues. Anyone ever had your trust betrayed before? 
Ever been there? Uh, my, my wife does not like bugs. Um, specifically, there is one bug that she feels very much so if all dogs go to heaven and cats, the verdict's still out, right? There's one thing where that word for sure goes to hell, and that is cockroaches. Can I get an amen? That and mosquitoes, like definitely a result of the fall and original sin, for sure. Um, now, now cockroaches, you know, now the problem is we live in Florida and, and South Florida, and cockroaches have been here before we were ever here, and they'll be here probably after. Like, I'm pretty sure they're like atomic, and, you know, uh, can't, can't be touched by anything. And uh, I did not quite understand the degree of my wife's chagrin for cockroaches until we were recently married. And a few weeks into marriage, I heard a blood-curdling scream. I ran out into the kitchen with my machete, because that's, right, no one, just, is that just me? South Florida got me? All right, under my bed, ready to go, ran out with the machete, and I find Nancy on the counter, and there's a roach. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, um, so this is fine, you know, and, and I, I do not prank her with cockroaches. I do not, because I want to be happily married for the rest of my life in Jesus' name. Um, but I remember the moment that our son learned of Nancy's, we'll call it, strong aversion to cockroaches. And Liam, like, he likes collecting bugs in general, so he was like, oh, man. And, 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 I, and Na- he realized how, you know, Nancy's thing with cockroaches, and she said, I'm really scared, Liam, don't do anything. And he said, okay, Mom. And he got the Grinch grin. And you see the wheels turning. And any chance he can get, like, he'll, he has these little toy bugs. Like, he'll find little toy roaches, and he'll, like, stick them places and hide them places. And he got Nancy one time. was, like, in her bed. It's like, ah! And he's like, yes! He was so happy. It's like, Liam, you knew, bud! And, uh, you know, betrayal. Betrayal. Like, where, where did this start? You're like, cockroaches, hell. No, not cockroaches. Where did our trust issues start? Ever wondered that before? Like, we, we all seem to be trust-challenged in some ways. It actually did not start with people. It started all the way back in Genesis. See, in Genesis, there was a God, and there was Adam and Eve, the first people, and they were in relationship with this God, and this God only had good plans in store for them, and he gave them very small parameters, not eat from one specific tree. But we also had an enemy from the very beginning. Maybe you've heard of him, the devil, Satan, but in Genesis, he was in serpent form, and he came to Adam and Eve, and God had said, hey, you can do whatever you want, it's going to be amazing, name the animals, came up with all sorts of crazy names, platypi and that, and he said, but you just, you just can't eat from this one tree, and then the serpent came up, and you remember what he did? He said, did God really s- say that joke? Did God, I just can't, I can't help myself, he said, did God really say that you can't eat from that tree? Did God, did he really say that? And Adam and Eve kind of begin at first, and like, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's what God said. He said, we can do whatever we want. It's going to be amazing. We just can't eat from this one tree. He's like, oh, well, oh man. Like, what? He's like, oh, well, I mean, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but God just knows that if you eat from that tree, then you're going to be like him, and God doesn't want you to be like him. And so, uh, I mean, you could, don't do it, no problem. And, and what happened at the very beginning of our story is that trust issues were not inherited. Trust issues were seeded. It was like the very first inception moment where the enemy of our souls knew that one core thing that contributes to our downfall is lack of trust. In this instance, in the goodness of God, in the character of God. In the fact that God is actually looking out for our good, that God has our best interest in mind, that God, like a good parent, has the best plans, wants to do anything possible so that we can flourish and that we can thrive. And so he starts out, did God really say? 
And ever since the beginning, the enemy of our souls has been working to get us to question the character and the nature of God and the goodness of his promises. This is where it starts. And then we meet people. And unfortunately, our experiences with other human beings, some well-intentioned and some malevolent, maliciously intentioned, they reinforce these trust issues. People let us down, people disappoint us, people stab us in the back, and it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy where if the enemy of our souls has convinced us, I don't really know if you can trust this God guy and what he has in store, people cement that trust issue in our hearts and we decide when the promises are slow, I'm gonna have to make it happen myself. This becomes our walking wound. God, I trust you. God, I believe you. But when the promises are slow, the temptation is to say, Jesus, take the wheel and everything's great, but as soon as it gets hard, Jesus, I take it from here and we grab it back and we start trying to make things happen. By the way, this is nothing new as well. That's where the serpent went with his next thought. Did God really say, question his character? Second thing, immediately after, well, God just knows if you eat from there, you can be like him. Translation, you could be the creator of destiny. You can be the creator of purpose. You can be the originator of good things. No, 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 every good and perfect gift comes from God. Yeah, 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 but you can be the originator. You can make the plans. You can make it happen. Now, here's what I need you to see. If you combine our inherited trust issues with our patience challenge and the difficulty of waiting, you will get a society full of stress, anxiety, and worry. Oh, wait, that's us. If you combine our trust issues, right, and often reinforced, rightly reinforced because of flawed human beings, no matter how well-intentioned they might be, with sort of our waiting, challenged, chronic impatience, we'll find ourselves in this moment. Well, the, the data is back, by the way, and, and, and this taking of the reins, this questioning God's character and, and his intentions and saying, well, I'm just going to grab it and, and make it happen on my own. It is not serving us well. It is, in, it is leading us to a mental health crisis and increasingly skyrocketed rates of anxiety and stress and worry and concern. It is not working. And the good news is there's an alternative. We have trust issues, number one. But point number two, he is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. His promises are true. Have we found that to be the case? He is trustworthy and his promises are true. See, God promised redemption all the way from the very beginning, all the way back in Genesis. He says, listen, here's what's gonna happen. The serpent, he's gonna bruise your heel, but you're gonna crush his head. His promises are true. We read Isaiah 9 already. This is one of these promises of this Messiah, this child to be born that will be the savior of the world. But scripture is actually full of promises about this redemption child. Jesus is promised all throughout the scriptures. We'll pick it up in the end of Genesis. This is what it says in Genesis 49. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. Daniel 7, Daniel writes, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, 
coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All the nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. Does this sound familiar to anybody? His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And I could go on and on and on about these promises, these prophesied promises about this Messiah that will come. Jesus himself actually specifically referenced some of these promises about himself while suffering on the cross. You guys remember what Jesus cried on the cross? He said a few things. You remember what he said at first? My God, why have you forsaken me? You remember this? In the gospel stories, I know that you're talking about Easter on Christmas, okay, but just track with me here. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now check this out, this is wild. Why did Jesus say that? I wanna show you. Let's go to Psalm 22. Here's how Psalm 22 begins. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, wait a second, that's what Jesus said. Ah, it is, why? You remember Jesus, he was, he was not just a pastor, he was actually a specific form of teacher. He was a rabbi, he was a Jewish teacher, he was a rabbi. Now what Jesus was doing was not something unique exclusively to Jesus. This is what rabbis and teachers would do. It was actually like a thing. It was a technique. It was, in, in the Jewish tradition, it's called remez. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. It means hint is what that word's, remez, it means hint. And so what rabbis would do is they're dealing with a largely biblically literate society. Most Jewish males, at least by the age of their bar mitzvah, they, they, at 13, they would have had most of the Old Testament, if not all of it, memorized. And so what rabbis would do is they would toss out the beginning of something and it would lead the audience's mind to consider the entire thing because they had it memorized. It would be like I said, well, the weather outside is frightful, but the... There we go. See, someone's even singing it. Come on, you're with me. It's like we, we would all know in our cultural framework, we know Christmas carols. In their cultural framework, they knew the Bible. I'm not going to make a statement there. I'm just going to say that's where it was. But, but they understand. And so when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everyone's mind would have gone, Psalm 22, Psalm 22. This wasn't some obscure Bible passage, by the way. This was a well-known, widely considered messianic psalm, meaning this was considered at the time to be a prophetic psalm about the coming Messiah. Now, I want you to listen to it in that context. Verse six, but I am a worm, not a man. Think about the crucifixion scene as your mind is drawn to the passage Jesus is taking them to. I am but a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the, in the Lord, they say. Let him deliver them. Let him rescue them, for he delights in him. You remember what they said? Oh, you said you're big Messiah, God. Why don't you ask him to come and rescue you now? It gets crazier. Verse 16. Psalm 22. Remember, this is Psalm 22. Think about the crucifixion scene, but this is not. This is Psalm 22. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You remember the scene? What's happening? This. At the very end, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall proclaim, and they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Here's what's crazy. Psalm 22, timeline, 
was written 1,000 years before Jesus was ever born and before crucifixion was even invented. Now you tell me, do you think God might have a plan? Do you think it's possible that God, the almighty and benevolent planner, has not forgotten your situation and your plight like the enemy of your soul would love to make you think? So that you feel like, man, well, God doesn't seem to be doing anything, so I got to go ahead and make this happen. And then inherit all of the anxiety, terror, and panic that comes with the pressure of being the diviner of your own destiny. Who wants that kind of weight? Is it possible that this same God who thousands of years before had penned into eternal scripture the crucifixion scene that Jesus, boop, brings to mind in exactly the right moment. Is it possible that that same God is the same God and he does not just love them, he loves you? He does. Do you see it, friends? Like Jesus was not just some last minute solution, Hail Mary to, I guess that pun intended, to the earth in need. He was the promised plan from the very beginning. He was the prophesied and promised plan from the very beginning. Before we ever had a problem, he had a promise. And if he considered the cosmos, friends, I'm telling you, he has not forgotten you. He has a plan for your life. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. He is working. You're like, it, it doesn't seem like that. It seems horrible. It seems hard. It seems difficult. I get it. I know. I'm pretty sure that's how the disciples felt on the cross when the God-man Messiah was dying. But we know the rest of that story. Did that turn out good? Is it possible that your story is gonna turn out just as good? It's not over yet, you're still here. You're still breathing, most of y'all. We have trust issues, but God is trustworthy. And here's my prayer. I'm praying that you and I, that we would put our trust in him. That we would put our trust in him. God has a plan. I'm telling you, he does. His promises are true. I'm telling you, they are. Put your trust in him. Now, there are two big obstacles that I want to tackle here that often get in the way of us walking in the peace of God as we remember the faithfulness and the promises of God. The first one is this. You have to know the promise so that you can believe and receive the promise, right? Kind of makes sense. Like, you have to actually know what God said in order to walk in faith towards what God has said. It really begs the question, what are the promises in Scripture that could pertain to my life and situation? We actually created this, whoops, we created this little sheet here called the Promises of God. I think we've got a, a QR code there if you want to scan it. The link might not or might pull up depending on your service here at Western. It's also in the Greenhouse app. We created this as, as a little something I realized during the holiday season, maybe for some of you it's you know, gummy bears and gumdrops and it's amazing. And for some of us, you're like, it feels like hell on earth in some ways. In this season, we've created some promises from God for you. 
How God promises to take care of our needs. He promises to be with us. He promises to give us peace and protection. To promises that we're known in love, wisdom and direction. A promise to restore joy. All sorts of promises from God. If you're like a, a, a paper person, we've got a few of these printed that you can grab on the way out in the lobby if you'd prefer that. If you don't want a digital copy. But there's all sorts of promises in scripture. If we're going to walk in the peace and the flourishing that God desires and has intended for our lives. Number one, we've got to know the promises so we can believe the promises if you want to walk in trust you want to walk in faith you have to know what he promised so that's the first obstacle that one kind of makes sense right everyone tracking with me you got to know what he said in order to trust what he said but there's a second often we know the promise and then somewhere along the line life happens and we find ourselves forgetting what we knew right it's like all we like sheep have spiritual amnesia we, we, we stumble back on good things. We're like, how did I get, I knew this. Anyone ever find themselves saying, I knew this was true. I believe this. How did I get in this spot? It's all right. It's just, it's just, it's our frame. It's, it's what happens to us. We often know, but we forget. And one of the biggest obstacles to putting our trust in him is that it's so easy to forget what he's done in light of what is currently happening. Like we become experts, we can't help it. We've all got this like myopic wiring where the, the, the big stuff, God's come through, he's been so faithful, it's been so amazing. And then we find ourselves in a specific situation, and that's all we can see. We just get in this tunnel vision. And if we're not careful, all we're considering is all we see, not all he's done. Y'all tracking with me? And so while we might know the promise, and that's challenge number one, the second challenge is we knew the promise, but we got spiritual amnesia. We got like spiritual ADD. Uh -huh. All we see is what's in front of us, and we forget what he's done, which is why the second call is to look back and remember. Everybody say remember. Recuerda. Is that remember in Spanish? Kind of. Nancy said más o menos. Remember the promises and the promise keeper. To, to just give a real tangible question, do you, do you keep a record? Like, we, we get this when it comes to meaningful things. Like, no one's like, you have end of the year, some of you have annual reviews, and your boss is like, you've done so great, you're getting a raise. What's the next question? Amazing, can I have that in? Right? Because we know when important things happen, I need that written down, I need a record, so you don't come to the boss after the first paycheck, and you're like, hey, I remember you talked about the raise, what do you mean, I don't remember that. You're like, no, 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 no. We're gonna keep a record of these important things. Why don't we do that with God? Maybe we can, maybe many of you do. Do you have a record? In the Old Testament, they would do this. They would have these memorial stones that they would set up. If you're going through the fluent Bible reading plan with us, and you probably come across this a few times, and they set up a memorial stone there. Here I raise my Ebenezer. That's what this is talking about. These memorial stones they would set up to remind, and they would bring their kids to these physical monuments to say, this pile of rocks is to remind us when God brought us through the Red Sea. And this random pile of rocks here is to remind us when God brought us through the Jordan River. And this setup of stones here is to remind they would bring their kids to these physical remembrances to remind them of what God has done because it would stir faith and hope in what God can and will do. I know some members of our community have, have like a journal where they keep promises from God and fulfillment of those promises. Like a prayer journal. That might be a great New Year's resolution. I'm going to start keeping track of when God has come through. So when I'm in a challenging spot where I can't imagine what's happening, I could be like, wait a second. By the way, I think this is what King David did in the Psalms. If you remember David in the Psalms, I mean, David was raw. Lay 
laid it all out there when he comes to talking about how he's feeling, where he's at. I mean, some of these, like we sing songs in church and we're like, God, you're so good, we love you. Like I'm, at, I'm like, how did David's psalms sound in corporate worship? God, take my enemies, crush their teeth and grind their bones. Yes, Lord, come on church, let's sing it again. Like this dude, he put, he's like writing in his journal for all, and it gets published in the bestseller of all of human history. Like, man. I don't know if I want my journal in the bestseller. But David was just honest, and we see this with David over and over and over again. He's laying his emotions out there. God, where are you? I feel like you've forsaken me. Gabby shared a little bit of that. God, where, where have you been? Where have you gone? But he would always have this moment in Hebrew, it's called selah. We would just kind of pause. And often after these moments, there would be this marked shift. The first half of the Psalm, this little journal entry from David is, God, where are you? You've forgotten all about me. Do you even care about me? Are you even alive? Selah. And then he'd come back and the psalm would say, but God, I, I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he's been good to me. What was David doing? I think he was doing exactly this. He was stepping back. Maybe he was flipping back through. Man, I remember I wrote that psalm when Saul was chasing me, trying to kill me, but, but he didn't. I remember I wrote that psalm when, when everything happened with Bathsheba and I was a mess and I was totally guilty and I should have died, but I didn't. And David had a way of looking back to stir trust in the future. There was another leader who did not have that method. His name was Saul. Remember what he did? He gets nervous when the promises of God seem slow. God says, hey, you're gonna wait here. God has anointed Saul king. He says, hey, you're gonna wait here and the Samuel the prophet's gonna come and the prophet's gonna do what the prophet does and the king's gonna do what the king does and you've got your specific role and God lays out the path of blessing. And Saul, when the promise seems slow, when Samuel was a little bit delayed, he has some camel issues, I don't know what was happening there, but when Samuel seems delayed, what does Saul do? He takes matters into his own hands and he does the seemingly right thing in the wrong way because it's not what God said and it all comes crumbling down. I'm praying that we would be a community of disciples that in a world full of souls who take control at every promised slowness or perceived slowness, that we would be a community of Davids who remember what he's done so we can be filled with faith and hope in what he can and will do again. Based off of the data, we are a society right now massively struggling with anxiety, inundated with challenges when it comes to our mental health. What if we began to apply these biblical principles there as well? When it comes to struggling with anxiety, what if instead of just imagining the what could be, happen, uh, what could be happening if God isn't coming through, what if we suspended judgment for a moment? Sure, maybe that's the case. Maybe God absolutely forgot about us. We're like, it's like cosmic neglect and he's not doing, like, okay, maybe that's the case. But what if we began considering the other alternative reality? That God is who he's always been and who he always will be. He is the promise maker and the promise keeper and he is not slack, he's just patient with his promises. He is on a different timeline with his promises. And what if while we're, we're, we're tempted to give all of our energy towards the thought that God forgot about me, he's not coming through, I have to do it all on my own, I know I can't do it on my own, ah! What if we just suspended judgment for a moment and said maybe this, but maybe that. Maybe God is coming through. Maybe God is doing things I don't see. Maybe God is the faithful one. Maybe he is working this for my good. Maybe he's doing things. What if we considered the possibility of the promise maker and the promise keeper? What if we took our anxiety all the way to the promise? 
By the way, community is huge for this. Often you are at an advantage because you understand your situation and your emotions in ways that no one else can because you are you, right? But you're also at a deficit because you rarely see the whole picture because you get so into the emotions of it all because you are you. This is where you need other people around you who can speak words of faith and encouragement and say, man, I, I know the situation's bad, but do you remember when? And can you remember that time that you, and remember the last time we were here in, and all of a sudden, faith and hope is stirred. This is what biblical community looks like. We all need help from others. One of the questions I was considering all week that I'd love for you to consider is, do you have a community around you who are reminding you of the alternate faith reality where God is working and coming through? We all seem to be very proficient and adept in imagining the reality where God has forgotten about us. No one needs help there. Do you have a community around you reminding you of the other reality? where God is faithfully coming through. By the way, this is why we gather in microchurches every week all throughout South Florida to remind one another of the faithfulness, the goodness, and the promises of God. I alluded to it before, but these holidays, they are exciting for many, but also tough for many of us. Maybe you had a spouse who died. Maybe you're in the midst of or just went through a divorce. Maybe your family's in chaos. Maybe your kids have gone wayward. And it's so easy to say, God, this all sounds good. Like, Pastor John, way to preach it. Like, sure, God does have these promises, but God, I don't know if you just forgot about me or I don't know what's happening, but I sure don't see those promises coming to pass. I've been in those moments. I've been in those seasons. Tempted to throw in the towel, give up. And I wouldn't even argue with you. I would just encourage you to consider adding one word to your conversation. God, you haven't come through on your promises yet. Yet. God, I don't see it happening yet. God, I can't understand what in the world you could be doing yet. It's a question of his character and his nature. I'm sure some of us in this community are going through gut-wrenching realities where if you shared with me, I would just sit down and sit with you in the pit and cry because it's heartbreakingly sad and there seems to be no end in sight. I just need to remind you there's no end in sight yet. By the way, you're welcome to invite him into that space. One of the things about God that blows my mind, you wanna talk about humility? The God of the cosmos says, I'm going to come to you in a baby who needs diaper changing. That's some humility. David pours out his heart to God, all his frustrations with God's uh, perceived slowness. And God says, all right, just bring it to me. If you're in one of those spaces, my greatest encouragement to you is take your disappointment, take your anxiety, take it all the way to the promises and the promise maker. Take it to God. You don't need to sugarcoat it. He knows what you're thinking already. We read that a few weeks ago. He wants you, the real you, the vulnerable you, the genuine you. Don't pretend the disappointment isn't there. Don't pretend the fear, the concern, the terror, the panic, the anxiety isn't there. Don't pretend it's not there. But remember this. We're promised in Scripture that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. 
And if you are still here, your story is not finished yet. Maybe you're here as a parent and and your kids have gone astray and they're not following Jesus. Maybe they're getting into all sorts of things. Like, I didn't raise them like this. All of the, they were on such a great track. What happened? You're starting to blame yourself and blame everyone and blame the media and blame the neighbors and blame everybody. What happened? And God promised in his word. Well, what did he promise in his word? He said, said, train up your child in the way they should go and when they are old. I don't know how God considers old the eternal cosmos being, like what old is to God. But apparently that hasn't happened yet. He's a faithful one. Those of us who are planners, we love the 10-year plan because we see the end of the picture, but we struggle with the eternal plan because we are only a piece of that puzzle. But I'm telling you, he who promised is faithful. And he knows your frame and he knows we struggle, so tell him. Philippians 4 says it like this. It says, do not, you, you do not have to be anxious about anything. What a great promise. You don't have to be anxious. Like, let let me just tell you right now, you don't have to be anxious about anything. Now, there are plenty of things to be anxious about, and it's a very natural inclination to move in that direction. So there's no shame. Welcome to humanity. We all struggle. But you don't have to be anxious about anything. You say, what do I do? Well, in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, again, this is God causing us to zoom out. To not just be so focused in our current moment, to zoom out a little bit. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you like the sound of your mind being guarded by God? You're like, please, Lord, guard my mind. He promised he would. And he will. But you got to work the promise. you got to know the promise. And then you got to lean into the promise. Have a community around that helps you when you struggle, because we all struggle. What promises has he made in his word? What ways have you already seen him come through? Listen, this is huge. Some of us are disappointed in life. Maybe you're disappointed about your career. Maybe you're disappointed about your family. Maybe you're disappointed about your spouse or lack of spouse. I don't know what you're disappointed about. Here's what I need you to consider. You might not be where you wanna be, but you're probably not where you were. And all of that matters. This doesn't discount the longing for something new. It also doesn't discount the reality of the goodness of God that's already been manifest. Let this fuel this. You guys tracking with what I'm saying? And something powerful happens. Some of the most challenging seasons of my life where I was ready to throw in the towel. God just quietly come along behind me and said, son, I know it's hard. It stinks, it sucks, it's horrible, I know. But remember then, remember then, remember that and all of a sudden thanksgiving and gratitude and all of a sudden my perspective shifts and all of a sudden I'm thinking about the God that might actually be actively working behind the scenes and just like then and I could never imagine it and it turned out good maybe maybe this time too I'm praying church that you and I that we would put our trust in him that we would know the promise so we can receive and believe the promise that we can look back and remember the promise keeper and the promise maker that we can walk in the shalom, shalom, the perfect peace, the flourishing and thriving that God has intended for our lives. But we struggle. It's so difficult to live this out, especially in a consistent way, because we live in a world that consistently lets us down, disappoints us, people who are flawed, who, 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 who betray us and let us down and disappoint us and stab us in the back, which is why Jesus knew we needed more than just words. 
In a day and age where the adage is, yeah, 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 I've heard it all before. Talk is cheap. God did not just say he came. He came. He backed it up with his actions. The good news of the gospel, the good news of the way of Jesus is that you have a God who so loved the world that he did not just say, man, I love y'all. Good luck. We have a God who so loved the world that he gave. Thank you, Zach. He gave his one and only son. Jesus came down. It was the promise personified. And we're reminded that Jesus is not just the promise maker. He is also the promise keeper. He already is. He already is. He already did it. Like, how can I know if he's trustworthy? Look at the cross and the resurrection. And then remember your life. There's all of these reminders of the faithfulness of God. And to any who are here, if you've got ears to hear it and a heart to believe it, he continues to make good on his promises today. For so many in this room, it's, it's what we've experienced. For so many online in Guyana, like this has been our story. Maybe it's not yet where we want it to be, but it is not where he found us. Lives that have been changed, hope that has been restored, grace, faith, peace that has come into our lives that was escaping and never there before, joy in place of mourning. And if you're here this morning and you're hoping for some Christmas message hope, here it is. You can put your trust in him today and those who put their trust in him will never be put to shame. Listen, I did not say never be disappointed. God is, seems very willing. I, sometimes I wish he was not so willing, but he seems very willing to temporarily disappoint you to permanently redeem and transform you. But it's worth it. It's so worth it. And it's always better than what you had planned. Because he's incredible. Would you join me as we pray? And we're gonna close in a song of worship together. Jesus, I ask that you would come and, and move in this moment and in this space right now. Lord, you're faithful, you're good, you're the promise maker. You have so many good and precious promises that you've made to us and you are the promise keeper. You have already come to fulfill so many and you continue to fulfill them in, their, in our lives. But you're also present. And I'm asking right now that your presence would be with us in this moment, in this space. Lord, some people in the room online in Guyana are deeply and painfully in the midst of disappointment. Lord, would you meet us in that place? Would you remind us of your goodness? Would you remind us of your nearness? Would you remind us that you are a very present help in times of trouble? And that what you did back then, you can do again. That your promises are true. That you're the author and the finisher. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're watching later online. And you're done doing it on your own. Like you're just, you're just, you're done. You're done. Jesus made this incredible invitation in the Gospels. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you'll find rest for your souls. You cannot fix internal problems merely by external changes. You need to shift on the inside. It's him. If you're here this morning, I've got great news for you. He's in the room. 
if you'd like to turn to Jesus as your forgiver, as your savior, as your Lord, as the director of your script, I wanna give you a moment to do that right now. Matter of fact, if that's you in the room online, you can just shoot your hand up in the air and say, that's me, man. I'm, I'm, I'm done doing it on my own. Jesus, you've got me. I wanna follow you. Anybody in that boat, you can just raise your hand right now. There's nothing magical about it, powerful. There's just something special that happens when we acknowledge on the outside what's happening on the inside. It seems to make it feel a little more real to us. Maybe you're here this morning or in Guyana online and, and you have trusted Jesus with your life. You've made that big decision. Jesus, you've got everything. But now you need to invite him in and trust him in your situation. Like the big decision needs to cascade into the immediate decision or the immediate situation. And it has not yet. If that's you, I just wanna give you an opportunity to say, God, you got me, I, I, I trust you. I recommit my heart right now to trust you. whatever boat you're in, why don't you just invite him in? There's no magic formula here. Just a prayer of trust, worship, thanksgiving. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I want to follow you. My life is yours. My situation is yours. Jesus, I, I, I know you're working. Help me to trust you. Help me to believe you. I, I, I don't see it yet, but, but I believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief.